Well, hello, it's Clive DeCarl, another edition of The Health Revolution. I'm incredibly pleased be, to be joined by Veda Austin from New Zealand. And the work she's been doing is astounding. And as I think you're going to find out. So welcome, Veda. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. So please, do, can you explain the wonderful things that you've uh, accomplished, so to speak? <laughs> well, okay. So uh, for anybody that doesn't know me, um, I am a water researcher um, and crystallographer. Essentially, that's just a fancy way of saying that I take uh, photographs of water after it's been frozen at a specific stage and I'm able to see that the images that appear in ice reflect the inspiring influence prior to freezing. For example, perhaps I put my hand in a petri dish of water, take it out, and then I may see a hand image appear in the ice. So these are not images that you kind of are struggling to see and make out somehow. Um, they're actually very clear. And my friend and mentor, Dr. Gerald Pollack, who is the world's leading water scientist and a very serious scientist, um, he gave me a suggestion years ago, because I've been doing this for 10 years now, that I actually put a questionnaire together, whereby I have 25 of my photographs with the simple question, what does this look like to you? He was trying to get me to establish some kind of image recognition. And so I, I did that. I gave it to friends. They circulated around social media. Um, so people didn't know what they were looking at. They didn't know it had come from me. And 297 people um, filled out the survey and we found that of all of those people, 85% of people were able to recognize the images for what the influence was prior to freezing. And out of all of those 25 images, there were three where 100% of people could recognize the images. So these are not random pictures. I have over just clocked over 40,000 photos of water doing this. I've also discovered that water communicates a few, if you will, uh, in three different types of ways when using my technique, my freezing technique, which we'll talk about. So the first way I found is what I call signature patterns. So what happens is that when, when after having done this for so long and photographed so many different types of waters. I've come to realize that different types of waters have their own signature pattern. For example, tap water tends to look very disordered. Rainwater forms like a fanning pattern with a slight curve. I've also found that filtered water tends to form lots of lines bunched together. And I've discovered that fresh uh, spring water tends to form what I call fern hexagons, which looks like a star with, with ferns coming off each leg that essentially form into the shape of a hexagon. The next way is art. I always say that art is the heart of water, and that's what people most know me for, and we'll be seeing some of that. And then there is something called hydroglyphs. Hydroglyphs are getting more scientific attention because they are repeatable 
and to say I have one hydroglyph, which is essentially a symbol in ice that is the energy of a word. So that might sound strange, but essentially I've discovered that water absorbs the energy of words and crystallizes into the energy of words. And when I use a word as an influence, put my dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds, it's a number I I give just as a kind of protocol, it's not too long and not too short, and then I freeze using my technique. If I see the same symbol appear at least 50 times per tip, like, um, at, at, well, if I do that, I'm going to try and explain that really simply. So basically, I just um, write the word, do the test, and see if there's a symbol there, and then do it again and again. And if I do that 50 times and see the same symbol, I have one. So it's a lengthy process to do, but I have nearly 40 of these hydroglyphs, and they are extremely complex. And uh, when you see 64 of them all together, which I have a few to show, then you can see that there's really something there, because for water to do something um, over and over again is actually very interesting, very unusual. So we see the same similar thing happen in um, the signature patterns, only in a different way. So, and then the art is rather extraordinary because it's almost like when you see what water normally does and you get to used to its sort of signature patterns, and then all of a sudden it starts designing a face or a, a, or something relative to the influence or even just somewhere near around you, you realize that something rather amazing has happened and it's and it seems very strange and so a, a good period of time and it's it's still going on has been about me asking questions and wondering what's happening here and doing various things to find more discoveries and by doing so looking at indigenous ancient wisdom looking at art looking at the science and there is a new science of water out there which is very supportive i believe of this work and so when you have science art and consciousness overlay i think then you have a truth and so that's a sort of very basic idea of what i'm doing but it may be that you would like to know how it started who inspired me what my first ever picture was and how that's launched so many other pictures. Well, yes, indeed. And presumably, Masuro Emoto was perhaps the original catalyst to this, was he? Well, um, well, I don't know if he was. The, he was certainly in our era. I, I suspect that things like this have been going on in times that we've just simply forgotten. Um, and there, because there was so much knowledge of it, but um, so I would say that the, the, there were three people that inspired me to begin this work. And one of them was uh, Masaru Emoto. Sadly, his, um, his work was not embraced at all by the scientific community, um, mainly because he openly said that he cherry-picked his photos to represent the um what he was trying to say that water absorbed the energy um of 
different emotions of its environment and could structurally change and improve with prayer, these different kinds of things. So consciousness is a very difficult one for science to really um, focus on, and, and as is water, because water has so many anomalies and it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to a lot of um, science. And, and I think that's one of the really interesting things about water, actually. But Emoto's work was still the value, of course, because pictures speak a thousand words. And he opened the doorway for people to see themselves as sensitive bodies of water that were able to um, be affected by certain things and such as music such as words such as thoughts such as environment and he really made I think he was one of the real pioneers in helping people see themselves as bodies of water and associate water and the human body with with themselves and that's a very important thing because we get taught we're so much carbon, but by molecular count, not by volume, we're actually 99% water. And there are more water molecules in our bodies than stars in the Milky Way. When we cut ourselves, we leak. When we cry, we leak. When we exercise, we leak. When we go to the bathroom, we leak. When there's a number of other things that happen when we leak. And, and so that's very important to remember because it shows us how fluid we really are. Even our eye lens is 99% water, so we literally see everything through the lens of water. So I think that his work was very important. Um, and then the, the, the second person whose work I'm very much, very, very interested in, and um, he's not so well known, but his name is Laurent Costa. And I talk about him in all of my all of my podcasts because he's sort of, the, for me, a bit of an unsung hero, really, because his work is really extraordinary in a similar way to Emoto's method, which was essentially to flash freeze a small amount of water after it was exposed to something and then photograph it through a microscope. Laurent also did that, but he did not want to experiment on water. His, his relationship was that water was his spiritual teacher and that experimenting on something that you love seems wrong. And I have to say that I'm in the same boat as that. Um, and my father is Maori and I, 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 I see the world really from a bit of a uh, well, definitely that threefold perspective, and I and I I really do feel that water is a life force energy, and that for me to go ahead experimenting on it, it with that mindset, do, doesn't really feel right. Um, so, what he was doing was remarkable. Like he he wanted to be the observer the best that he could. He was inviting water to share whatever it wanted. And sometimes he would smile at the water prior to him flash freezing and doing his process. He was not only getting geometries like snowflakes in the way that Emoto was, he was literally getting smiley faces smiling back at him in the ice. And when you see a smiley face, you can't help but like smile at it. And I can only imagine how fun that must have been looking through the microscope and seeing this 
face smiling back at you. He was getting fish. He was getting um, hearts. He wrote a book called Journey into the Heart of Water. He has a lovely saying, which is something along the lines of um, water, water's heart opens to those who love it. And I think that he's he's quite an extraordinary person. Um, and I'll show you some of these photos soon uh, because, you know, not many people have ever even imagined that through the microscope you might get smiley faces and you might get fish and you might get hearts. So then the, the third person was a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus. And uh, the more I read into um, his life, actually, the more I realized what a genius he was. And he actually was did a lot with scalar waves very, very early on. And anyway, he was a radionic engineer and he made a very curious observation when he went into a Parisian meat market on a very, very cold day. And he said that he observed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ and so on and so forth. And his hypothesis was that there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs, even though they were no longer attached to an animal. And he put that down to there being water in the blood. And each type of organ has a sonic signature, which very rudimentarily is kind of like a uh, cymatic imprint or cymatic pattern that holds the form shape and function of the organ of that information like a blueprint and so he thought that the organ the water in the blood of the organ was sharing information with the water in the air the water in the air when it froze formed into the blueprint of the organ and i and i thought that was fascinating and I was also encouraged because he was seeing this with his naked eye. And then I read that Rudolf Steiner also says and recommends look at the frost and the way that it forms on the butcher's window compared to that of a florist's window. And you'll see changes. And so I took all of this information and I, I thought, well, I want to see if water has memory. I don't know if it's real. You can read a lot of stuff. You can see some pictures, but until you do something for yourself, you kind of, you know, you never really know. You form a belief. And I remember someone said, you can only, um, you can only know what you don't believe and you only believe what you don't know. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And so, um, I had a, a, a glass petri dish from something else I was doing. So um, I've had various different kinds of things that I've done in my life. Uh, they all seem to, to tie together, really. Um, but years and years ago, I worked as an oil painter. Like I was an oil painter for, for many years. So I see the world very artistically, and I, I love to paint. Um, but I, on top of that, I'm also a researcher. And I'm very interested in, in science, but I love art and I'm also quite spiritual. So I incorporate them all. So I'm very good at looking for patterns. It seems to be a gift I have. 
and th that has worked very very well within my area of expertise so um, I had had a healing experience with a spring water here in New Zealand after having been in a horrendous car accident and I was curious you know about water because because of that you know I was like well what what made that water extra special so that it, it really made a difference to my healing process and so I started looking into it and it was a very naturally alkaline water and um, it had a very high pH of 9.9 .9 out of the ground and as I was researching trying to find out what why I'd had such a profound healing experience with it of course you look at an analysis so when we're trying to learn about water, a very traditional method is to go and look at an analysis. Let's see what, what, what's in the water, what, what, what the water is like. And, and so I was like, okay, it has, you know, this amount of TDS and it's got this amount of bicarb and blah, 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 which is all very logical. But I came to understand that I knew nothing about anything about water. All I was learning about was what water hold, you know, what was in the water. What did I actually know about the water itself? And that became a very important question to me, of which I've come to understand a lot more about. But I began with a curiosity. So I got my Petri dish of water and... I was holding it and I thought, well, uh, look, I've seen Emoto's work and and I thought oh, I'm going to project a thought into the water and, um, and, and I'm going to freeze it because the secret seems to be in the freezing for all three people who I mentioned, where the un unseen becomes seen. And so I held my dish and, and as I was, and I'd put some of the spring water into my, into my Petri dish. Now, I've used many different waters over the years, but um, for this one, this is the water I used. But I noticed a little bit of fluff floating around in my dish. So I was like, oh, my God. So I put my hand in to take out the fluff, consciously thinking, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's memory, um, because I didn't know if that was really a real thing, and I wanted to see. So I thought, well, that thought will do. I then put it into the freezer with the peas and the broccoli and everything, and I completely forgot about it for several hours. And I had no attachment to what would happen. I, I really had no idea. It was just something fun to try. And my my energy was just just curiosity. When I when I came back and I pulled it out, I held it up to the light and I took my very first photo on my iPhone. That photo has really been the launch of, of this absolute 10-year dedication to water. What I saw was an image of a hand that looks like looked like the x-ray of a hand. It took up half of the dish, which meant that it was macroscopically huge. And it freaked me out a little bit because I wasn't expecting that and it was so realistic. So much so that I showed my son, and who was quite young at the time, and I asked him what it looked like to him. And he had no idea what I'd done or even what he was looking at. And he said, well, it looks like a hand, mum, like an x-ray of a hand. And 
And so then I thought, well, what water would be naturally informed? So I went to the ocean and I uh, got some water and I froze a thin layer of the seawater. And I was nervous before I pulled it out because I thought if I see something in relation to the ocean here, then that means maybe this isn't random. And so uh, when I pulled it out, the photo I took was of this fish with gills and fins and scales and an eye. And it was really quite remarkable. And that's when my freezer became my most used household appliance. And I'm about to show you all of what I've just been sharing. Um, but I would also say that after a year of freezing things solid, um, I learned something very important. And that is that I was capturing, I, I, I like literally I'm amazed that I got the, the, the imagery that I got when I totally froze water after learning my technique. I've realized that water freezes in three stages. The first freeze is where I now take the water out at. And I have a little video to show you what these three stages look like. And we'll get into that in a minute. So um, I'm going to screen share. If you're able to please make me a co-host and then I can screen share, that'd be great. I shall, just while I'm doing that. Um, you mentioned Gerald Pollock. Does, um, does his work, would you say, um, you know, it is the uh that stage of easy water uh, a, a part of what you're seeing is, is it that sort of special stage it is so outside of the exclusion zone water being in ourselves which is the fourth phase of water for anyone that is tuning in that doesn't know so it is h3o2 it has extra oxygen and hydrogen atoms so um it has certain qualities it absorbs more light is one that really interests me. It has a negative charge, which is really, really relevant to healthy cells. Um, it is more viscous and has a slightly, it's slightly more alkaline. And so you can, and it's, it's a battery really. So that, and I'm sure it, you know, you know this, but essentially exclusion zone means that it creates the, the within the water and you can see it. Um, when you do these tests, which is really fun to see because I've been to the lab and I've seen them do it. So essentially they have a little tube, a little um, beaker of water. They put something called um, microspheres in the water so that allows you to see movement. And then a nephion tube, which is a see-through tube. Then they look through the microscope into all of this. And what if there is fourth phase water there, which is more like a gel or plasma, that you see that the water there's that the microspheres are starting to move through the tube and self-propel so what happens is that exclusion zone pushes out the solates within the water and creates this pure aspect of the water which creates a negative charge and what it's pushing out is a positive charge and when you have a negative and a positive you have a battery and so this is really a interesting one and so outside of the body you can get exclusion zone water in regular or not all waters but certainly some waters particularly spring waters that have been under pressure it builds under pressure this exclusion zone water and so it's interesting because 
um, what you're starting to see is it also this has this wonderful ability to absorb light and it expands with infrared light. So that's why like infrared saunas are really good for us because they help build this exclusion zone within our cells. But outside of the body and also in water, um, as water is beginning to freeze, but before it's completely frozen and in the melting stage, that fourth phase water also begins to um, present itself. So it's the stages in between, and I always say the secrets are in the subtleties. Um, it's also relative to the, the Hunza Valley water, which is where the, it's a blue zone in northern Pakistan, where people live the longest and the healthiest. And they live quite high in the mountains, and their only source of drinking water is this Hunza Valley water, which is glacial water. So it's in the in the melt stage. And so th there's something very, very potent about the stage. And that you're, that was where I started to question, why am I um, freezing water solid? I must be missing something. So I started opening my freezer earlier and earlier to see when is the water freezing into the patterns in the very first beginning part? When, when does that begin? And when when is uh, when what is happening? <clears throat> so I began to um, around about I think my freezer was negative twenty six or twenty seven degrees Celsius. It was a pretty good freezer. So after about four minutes and twenty seconds, then I noticed there was liquid on top and ice underneath, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So I pulled it out, drained the water away, and I saw the most incredible crystallography on the dish. And that's what I call the first freeze. And then I came to realize that then there's another freeze that freezes above it. And in between the two, there is liquid water. And when that liquid water freezes, it actually clouds a lot of that imagery over. I think of this technique like a glue and glitter picture. When I was a girl, um, I was given a piece of paper and a glue stick. And, and the teacher said, now draw a picture with the glue stick, get the glitter, sprinkle it on, and then you shake the excess glitter away. Well, the glue is like your conscious expression, your intention. The water, the first freeze, is, is like the water that stuck to that conscious expression. And the water that you're tipping away um, simply didn't stick, but it still has potential. Interestingly, if you tip it away into another Petri dish, you get a secondary layer of information. So um, you're quite right. I think that it has a lot to do with this unique stage of water. And, and that is also relative to a healing way in which people are beginning to use my crystallographic technique for, and I'll talk, we'll talk about that. Um, so I'll share now. Um, People I... must be dying to see the pictures. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Now I'll just I'll just kind of guide you through um, 
what I've just been talking about when we, we get to recap a little bit, which will be nice for people. So I like this quote by Rudolf Steiner. He says, the human being thinks that he creates intelligence, whereas he only draws intelligence from the universal sea of intelligence. Okay, so my inspirations and most people would know Emoto's work. Now his work is very much in contrast and I do want to point that out. As human beings, we tend to like to see the, the best and worst of things. And life isn't always like that, you know. We're very, there's a lot of stuff in between that. And, uh, and I want to get into that later because a lot of my work has delved into the in-between stuff. Um, I do see contrasts in certain things and people, again, we, we, there's a, this kind of real addiction to seeing these, these, these contrasts, but we've worked with a lot with, um, with children. And there's a story as to how my hydroglyphs began, which are the symbols in ice. And that was because my son saw Emoto's, um, pictures of heavy metal and classical music and if you only look at the extremes you might assume that water only likes classical music and John Lennon um, but that is not true I don't think that that water is ever in judgment that is not the spiritual aspect of water I think the spiritual aspect of water is far more the observer and never in judgment. And I will show you and talk, we'll get into that, um, kind of getting a bit too far ahead. But um, anyway, so this is some of Laurent's work. And you can see these smiley faces and and the heart and just how adorable this is. And oh, I did, I wrote his quote here, the heart of water opens up to those that love it. So this is Thomas, and we've talked about him and his observations of how the frost froze on the glass behind certain organs. Now, my work, I'm, I'm, this is the very first picture I ever took. Um, you can see that the hand is very clear. There is really no doubt that that is um, a hand. Um, this is the fish. Remember, this is seawater. It's not fresh water, so it freezes differently, which is why you have all this feathering and things like this. But here we see the fish and the tail and the gills and the eye and the fins. Now, this is the difference between my old technique and my new technique. Now, you might be wondering what's going on with this. Well, that is all of done by my son. So my children have been basically grown up watching me do this and have contributed greatly to um, this body of work and my understanding that other people can do it. So essentially, he was named after uh, Lord Rama, the, he's part Indian. And so um, we were talking about how Lord Rama always has a bow and arrow. And my son Rama was trying to con me into buying him a bow and arrow and I was going, oh, well, we need to think about it. Anyway, we ended up doing a thing where he projected the thought of an arrow into the water. He froze it using my technique and he took this photo. And you can see how remarkably metallic the arrowhead looks. It looks like 
it's just kind of embedded into some kind of bed of golden grass or something it's it's really quite striking but what you'll notice is the amount of light that shines through compared to my very first photograph where the ice was solid and this is one of the beauties of uh, being able to photograph it in the first freeze because I can play with the colors in the background and that's why you see different colors coming through in some of my work. So my freezing technique is where I, this is kind of what it should look like in the freezer. The the empty spaces are actually liquid. So if you're moving the dish, the, the, the water will move, but you'll be able to see that there is ice inside. And this is what I do is I tip, tip away the water afterwards. So this hopefully it will work and sometimes it may. Here we go, great. So what we're seeing here, I'll just stop it. This is the first freeze. So what we're seeing in this video, a very clever person was able to um, put a, a specific kind of camera into the deep freeze and watch the water freeze from beginning to end. And this has been one of the most helpful videos for me to show people what the first freeze is all about. So there was no intention with this. This is water freezing in organic patterns. So this is what the first freeze is. You can see it's very, <clears throat> excuse me, very, very clear. Then two things are going to happen almost simultaneously. There's going to be this kind of wash that comes over and almost erases a lot of these pitched patterns here. And that's the second freeze. And like I said, almost simultaneously, there is these, the, there'll be these dark bubbles that go from the top down. And that dark bubbly kind of water is the water in between the two layers that is freezing. And it holds the most um, of the of the TDS. It holds most of the dissolved solids and any kind of minerals or anything else that might be in the water and that can cloud it over. So we're going to watch that now. So Next, you're going to start to see this washing as well as the dark bubbles that come down. And this is such wonderful, um, uh, really, a, a video because we get to see what's happening in there. And, and we get to see how amazing it, it is that I got the imagery that I did in the beginning for the first year. When you see how clouded this looks as a solid freeze um, compared to, um, I'll see if I can move it back here. It always happens. Um, so we're just getting a little preview of what happens there. Okay, so as opposed to this. So this is the first freeze and then we get all the way to here and we see a solid and it's just so different. So, this this is why I think it's just so important to learn about how water freezes and at these stages and, and why the stages are significant. So I began to wonder, you know, if water seemed to really like to design in images. And so I thought, well, what if I show it pictures of people? Will that mean that we're going to start seeing uh, actual, you know, features of people wouldn't that be remarkable and so 
the very first photograph I took was where I used this photo of my friend Wendy as my inspiring influence and I put my petri dish of water on top of her photo for 30 seconds it's not too long it's not too short um, and it's a protocol I suggest to people when they begin learning this work as far as that timing goes but the more your relationship strengthens in water and the more you work together in a way uh, the less you need to do any protocol. It's almost like water knows what I'm going to ask it before I do. So this led on to a number of other photos of people and of faces. And I think that this is extremely interesting because you start to see the features of each person's face or statue or coin. I wanted to use different types of faces and I just think this is rather extraordinary. You can see I've overfrozen this one a little bit. And of course, it's important to learn along the way that I've been learning along the way. You know, I haven't got it perfect every time, but you can still see the faces coming through. And different waters freeze at different times sometimes. Like tap water tends to freeze um, a little bit quicker than <clears throat> spring water, for example. Um, and here are just some examples of my work. And there's a story behind each picture. So this was a really fun one because basically this dog was smelling the Petri dish of water before it got frozen and his nose showed up in the, in the water. Over here, um, this is my cat Jeeva. And Jeeva was, would, would often try and um, put his paw in the water and like, take something out of the water and he'd spent a lot of time staring at my petri dishes of water as if he was seeing something else in there that I couldn't see um, so one day when he was staring at the petri dish I simply froze it afterwards and you can see his little face in there this is a, a, a really interesting one um, so I was at a cafe and I saw that there was a bowl out for thirsty dogs and this schnauzer dog, like this one, um, was drinking out of it. And my thought was that, oh, I wonder what that dog bowl water would freeze like. And so I, I asked the waitress and I said, do you think I could have a takeaway cup and take away some of it, that dog bowl water? I, I know I sound like a lunatic, but I'm this crystallographer and made this, I told her all about what I was doing. And she, you know, smiled, but probably thought I was nuts. But the picture was so worth it. And um, and what's interesting is though you can't really see it because these are in these certain formats, the rest of the body you can see as well. So in the actual um, imagery. Um, my father, his favorite one is the swan. Uh, now let's go ahead. Okay, so here are just a few more. Um, this one over here of a Maori pātaka is really, really interesting and super complex because I went to a spring um, to collect some water and that area where that spring was coming out of, um, it was there was a lot of Maori settlement there from over a hundred years ago and the Maori believe that they have this wonderful relationship with their ancestors so um, even in the water, it is said that the, 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 there is 
aspects of their ancestors there. Um, and even in the, the houses that they build and the, the buildings that they make in their canoes represent or even sometimes named after ancestors. And so this is what's called a pātaka. And a pātaka was a food storage hut. And sometimes they would store gourds of water in there. And so when I first saw the ice image after simply basically <clears throat> coming home and freezing some of the spring water, I thought, gosh, that looks like a pātaka, which is like a, it's on stilts. They're built on stilts um, to kind of help to some degree prevent the rodents from going in and, and getting into all the food. Um, and so I started researching and the area and I found a, some historical um, sketches and I found that actually it looked just like the pātaka um, that had been sketched that used to be there and which was very common for for traditional Maori so I found that really really interesting because it's a very complex picture the one beside it uh, you can see um, is of a, a, a little baby um, like an embryo and um, what's interesting here is that you can see that there is light all the way around the spine around to the head and it looks quite unique because it's kind of glowing and someone suggested to me that that could easily represent the spinal fluid and I was talking to Dr Mauro Zapatero and if anyone has never heard of him, I highly recommend looking him up because he's a Harvard doctor, but he is literally saying that the spinal fluid is the portal to cosmic consciousness. And so um, this is a, it's very interesting because I was I'd given um, a pregnant lady some water to drink and leave me some while she was thinking of her baby. And we can see this a little baby um, in the ice. Uh, over here, you can see the water is designed a Maori heitiki, and I used one of Van Gogh's sunflower um, paintings, his sunflower painting, and water made its own beautiful design, which I also just absolutely adore. Um, and so here are just a few more. What's interesting about the one bottom left is that I hadn't shown the water my initials that are written, I had asked the water if it knew my name and it designed that VA. But what's crazy about that is that it designed the VA linked in exactly the same way as I link my initials that you can see right beside it. You might wonder, like, why is Batman there? Well, like I've said, my children have played a, a very big part in this work, and my son would often watch a movie with a Petri dish of water and then freeze it. And so it happened to be Batman this one day. Top right, the, I think this is a significant and important photo. Um, I was sent a video, I, I don't know why someone sent this to me, but anyway, I always have a dish of water beside me. It's it's kind of like my, my constant companion, and I'm often in the kitchen doing this because I'm so prolific, and so there's, there's often a, a dish of water around, and so um, I saw this video on YouTube of this um, this pig that was escaping from a truck that was taking it to the abattoir 
and it, it jumped out of the truck literally and um gratefully it was it was fine and but what's interesting here is that you see the pig the pig is quite obvious you see his snout and his mouth and his eye and his ears and some kind of um and his body back here and so that's what I first noticed but then my my son pointed out something he said there's another pig mum and I said oh yes I see it so there's the ear and there's the outline of his face and there's his eye and nose and again his his neck and back and what's interesting is that what we're seeing is water is probably seen if you want to use that term seen a second pig wanted to jump out with the first pig I suspect there was one trying to follow it and and then I, and I have I think I hope it's in this another image that kind of reflects that same thing um well, I don't know if I can see it, or maybe it's in the next one. Um, if it's can not, I ask a question. Yes. Um, how repeatable uh, can these pictures be? Well, imagery tends to not be as repeatable as, well, certainly hydroglyphs are repeatable. I have done some where I've seen repeated pictures. But they fall that they led me into hydroglyphs. So it's quite interesting because there is a clear artistic expression, which usually is a one like a one-off. And then there is the repeatable stuff. So it's it's kind of interesting to observe that. So for example, when I was looking at music, and I've used music a lot as my um inspiring influences you can use the exact same song and when I was investigating lots of genres of music because my son had seen Emoto's heavy metal and classical music and it come to me saying I think water hates me and I said why and he said because I don't like classical music and I don't really even like heavy metal and children will often if they can't associate with one or the other they'll assume the worst which he'd done and he said but I like rap and I like Tupac and sometimes Tupac swears and I think water hates me and he was really upset and I said no 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 water's not in judgment let's look at lots of genres of music of which I did and I observed that by playing the same song with some of them I started to discover that a certain image would appear repeatedly and that image would relate to a word in the song so when I did stairway to heaven I kept repeatedly seeing the stairway image and that became a glyph and the, and it's interesting because the same thing happened with Beyonce's song called um single ladies whereas and I'm going to not sing it for you because you'd pay me to go away but basically there is this other little part in the song which was all about putting a ring on it and I saw this ring appear in the ice over and over again and it started out with seeing stairway to heaven do the same image repeated 12 times and then I thought well I wonder if that actually means stairway and so I wrote the word stairway and put my dish of water on top of that. And I saw the stairway appear. And over the course of some months, I did that 50 times. And I realized, actually, I think this is the symbol for the energy of the word stairway. And that's how that began. But I don't always keep repeating 
with using the same influences, um, mainly because I, I'm always interested to see, to just to kind of see um, what something else might do. So I've seen enough repeatability within the hydroglyphs to understand that there is, there is a certain language, but art, art's much like us. You know, art is original. When we go to an art gallery, we're going there because we want to see the art is original. And, and by doing that, we also want to get to know the artist. And so water is like inviting us through art to get to know about it. So um, art seems to be rather exclusively art. Hydroglyphs seem to be rather exclusively hydroglyphs and signature patterns appear to be more specific to signature patterns. However, you can sometimes get all three of them in a dish at the same time. And that's always very interesting. I hope that's helpful. Um, well, so, sorry? Yeah, no, I was just saying it's incredible. You know, some of the images are fabulous. Yes, and, and up here is this interesting story too, because um, you can see my thumb is in the Petri dish, and I used that as the inspiration. And then I took it out and I froze it. But what's was curious is that you can see there's like a little chip at the end of the nail in the ice thumb. A few, about three or four hours later, um, I actually chipped my fingernail, my thumbnail in exactly the same place. So that was very curious. Um, and here, you know, here's this picture I was hoping I, I would have here. So here you see that my influence was this butter knife. But what's interesting is that it wasn't part of my whole thing. I wasn't intentionally um, putting those coasters there. They just happened to be there. Um, but water has designed both of the coasters as well. And so it's kind of suggesting that it's sort of seeing, if you will, um, more than the obvious, more than just what I'm showing it. And, and I think that that for me was a very important picture because I came to understand um, that w what one thing that happens quite often is that if I do use the same influence, water will often take different shots of it. For example, here we see the butter knife and it's positioned very much in the way that I saw it. But if I did that again, of which I've done for, for various other different um, things, often you'll see different angles. So it, we might see it from a different angle. We might see some of even the letters that might be on the, um, on the thing that I'm using, for example, if there were any. We might see um, it from like as if it was more vertical or something. You know, we... I've seen water almost look at things from all different kinds of angles and is able to show me that. Um, I used an Egyptian hieroglyphic tablet, which just demonstrates that quite well, where essentially it showed me what I, the way I was seeing the, um, the image, but then it showed me from the bottom, from the side, from a different angle completely about five times. And so it didn't repeat the picture, but it repeated the 
the, 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 but the the kind of subject matter was still there, but from a different angle. Very much like if you got um, a group of artists in a room and you had a bunch of fruit and everyone and the lady, whoever it says now, you know, paint the fruit. Everyone's going to paint the same subject, but they're going to do it in their own style. And that's kind of an interesting one that I see with this art. It's it's never exact. You know, it's not a it's not like a duplicate of or a photocopy. But I think that that's one of the most amazing things is that it seems because art is actually a very human kind of expression, you know, whereby we 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 create something from nothing, seemingly nothing, or certainly we have inspired thought and we can just put pen to paper or brush to paper or canvas and we start designing and everyone's styles are so different. So it's it's a very interesting. Here in the middle bottom, um, this is something I've been doing and starting to share quite a bit, whereby um, I mentioned that I'm, a, I'm an artist and I, I really like to paint uh, nature scenes. And so this person had done a painting um, with lots and lots of birds, the South African artist. And so I was staring at her picture for a long time it was just on the screen on my laptop and I was really studying it and then I I closed my eyes and really held the picture in my mind's eye and then I stared at the water for about a minute and then I froze it and and you can see it's definitely done something rather extraordinary that has some quite a bit of similarity to this it's a little slightly more abstract, but it's definitely got features of it into it. And and that's very um, important to see because that inspired an, a lady, because I teach my technique. I now have literally thousands of people doing this work and sharing it with me. So we know it isn't only me doing this, which I think is very important. Um, but this lady and her husband, they uh, her, she said that her husband's a photographer and they often go to um uh romania and in romania they the romanians tend to make these very unusual shaped haystacks and she said it was a long story but for some reason her and her husband are obsessed with those haystacks so he takes lots of photos of them and he took a photo of the haystack with this kind of house in the background and so they stared at that picture then they looked at the, closed their eyes, held it in the mind's eye, then looked um, at the Petri dish. And she shared that. I shared, I shared her picture on social media yesterday. And so, you know, and I've done that several times now and seen it to be quite successful. So I, I use many different ways of inspiring water. I like to show imagery. Um, I like to use thoughts. I sometimes speak to it. And more often than not now, after doing this for so long, I don't have any need to see that water can design what I'm seeing. I'm way more interested to know what water has to say and what I can learn from it. Um, so I'm not the only one, as I've mentioned. Here are some pictures done by other people. Several children um, have done this. Um, this one boy was really obsessed with tarantulas, and so he used... Um, uh, I actually think he had a pet tarantula, so I don't, I don't know why, how, 
so that in inspiration for him was a picture of a tarantula. Um, there was a boy who was doing a study on big cats, so he chose lions and he used this picture as his influence. This was taken by Laura, who works at Dr. Jerry Pollack's lab, and um, she used a bowl of fruit as her inspiration, which was mostly had apples in it. Here we have um, the water that came from a little girl's um, mouse cage. So it was the, the mouse's water. She had a pet mouse and it designed the little mouse. My daughter did this one. She's used to be obsessed with unicorns. She's grown up just a little bit too much now, sadly. I love that stage, but um, you can see the unicorn here, the face, the, the mane, the, the um, horn. Now, you might be wondering why the heck is somebody going to use nail clippers as an influence? It seems rather random, but they, they didn't, actually. This is John. John works alongside me. He's an amazing photographer and wonderful crystallographer, and he hopped on my beginner's workshop over, well over a year ago and has done this every single day that he can. And um, he freezes outside. He lives in Utah, where it actually gets so cold that you don't need to do it in a freezer, and he does work outside. And so he's taught us all that this is definitely not because there is a certain breeze flowing in somehow from the freezer and the freezer is creating the, the formations. We've seen that these things, we, we can see hydroglyphs, we can see organic patterns, we can see signature patterns and we can see art all when it freezes outside. And so this he had um, his nail clippers were sitting beside the petri dish it wasn't intentional it's just he was looking around saying oh my god I, that looks like nail clippers and then he realized his nail clippers were just sitting beside the dish and this was a freeze that was outside um we have more here they they really are i'm putting my new book together where i'm just sharing so many images um and so you can you can see that there's there's so much here um and i want to talk about the significance of light so water absorbs photons so it has a huge amount a huge light source and if you think back to our conversation about dr jerry pollack and talking about how fourth phase water has the ability to absorb more light and I think that's interesting because anything that absorbs light surely can also then be a generator of it. So um, I learned something really significant from an, uh, um, an indigenous woman who said that she could speak to bees. And she said that when she would watch their hives for long periods of time, and one day a bee communicated to her that they didn't mind if she looks at the hive, but could she please not look at it for so long because her conscious expression was putting too much light in the hive and they liked it to be darker. And I thought, oh, so that's that really resonated for a number of reasons. One was, does that mean that where we put our consciousness is also where we put our light? And then I also thought, well, every now and then I've taken a photograph at the perfect time is what is just beginning to you to freeze is it, it starts to form 
like you see here, these kind of spears. But what you might notice is that there is a light source around the spear head, the icy spearhead, which looks like a halo. And what I've come to know is that it isn't, it is actually light that paves the way for the design of the imagery. And I now have a quantum physicist who I'm working with, whom we're writing a paper together to explain actually how this phenomena is working, which incorporates um, our electromagnetic field, it incorporates light, and in the way in which water receives, stores, and shares information. Um, so I'm looking forward and to 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 that kind of coming to to uh, light <laughs> literally pardon pun um here is an, a, a little bit of a, a demonstration of the three ways that water communicates and just what that looks like so, so just before you start can i tell you something about light um yeah. a few years ago i made a video with this wonderful lady who is a, a psychic and she teaches children to see blindfolded so. Yes, yes, I, I've I've seen that, and I know some people that are starting to do that here in New Zealand, where you can, where they have the mindfold, completely exactly. blocked out light kind of things on. Yeah, and maybe you've heard the children say when they ask, "Well, how are you doing this?" They often use words like, "Well, I'm using my inner light." Mm. Well. Within that, there's a very interesting study that was done by a man by uh, the name of Gennady Krokolev. He was a scientist as well as a psychiatrist. And I think I have his photos at the end of my, my presentation, so I'll share it now in case, and then if, if we need to, I'll, I'll jump forward so we can see them. <clears throat> but he was working with psychiatric patients that were having hallucinations and really afraid of a lot of what of the things they were seeing. Um, and it was on such a regular basis. And he wanted to see if, if, if these visions that they were having were able to be in any way captured on camera. And so he made a decision that he was going to photograph the retina of their eye as they were having a hallucination. So he made these this kind of thing where he got some goggles and he took the lens out of the goggles and he was able to attach it to this old-fashioned camera called a Zenith camera, which has a box that comes out from, um, from the, the camera itself. And he attached that box to these, these goggles so it was dark, so the where the there was where the eyes could see it was only dark, this dark tube if you will, this kind of square where this box was. And so he would take photos as they were starting to have a hallucination. And he did this with over 200 people over 20 years and 100, 117 people, I believe, were able to confirm that the imagery of the photos that he took were in fact similar or the same as what they were seeing in their vision. But what's interesting even more is that this was repeated by Russian scientists over the last 15 years, and they made a documentary about it. But rather than using psychiatric patients, 
what they did was they um, used a remote viewer and they instead of using the goggle setup that Genity used they um, they used this, a um, scuba diving mask and attached it to around this kind of square box thing of this old-fashioned camera they used the same setup and the scientists stood behind a wall and held up letters uh, numbers or shapes and as this remote viewer tuned in to which it was in her mind's eye then they would take a photo and they were able to prove that in her mind's eye was was shining enough light if you will for the camera to pick up the shape of the numbers and the, the shapes and there were two hypotheses around it probably people were leaning towards the second the first genity suggested that maybe there is a secondary realm of consciousness that can be sometimes picked up and when you think about the sensitivity of cameras they're often picking up orbs and things like that that we don't see um this the second one was that the brain sends information to the retina of the eye and the retina of the eye organizes that into picture form and projects it like a hologram and it's interesting because I've done an interview with um, Venice McNeil, who was one of the directors, her and her husband directed the series Magical Egypt. And she talked on one of my masterclasses about how the ancient Egyptians understood very well about DMT. And she said that there is a large amount of DMT in the retina of the eye and that they um, kind of had this idea that actually the way we see the world is in fact through a holographic imagery coming through from from the DMT in our eyes and bodies so I found that very very interesting and provocative idea so um I'll go back to this the the, the I think that what was interesting was the um that the it had to be in the mind's eye so it was you really had to have a focused vision to be able to get the stuff on camera what they were doing what we're seeing here is far more quantum we're, we're seeing um water not only need your thoughts but is very interested in your feelings so i often say that water is more interested in what you're feeling than what you're thinking and it can pick up stuff, just show you things that are around you, let alone what you're wanting water to do. But it's important to remember that water is wild, you know. So, so if you go into this work thinking that water is just going to do what you want, you, you'll probably be disappointed because this is um, why water to me really is a spiritual teacher. And that the more curious you are, the better it works. The more um, assumptive you are, the less successful you are. And so it, it, it really makes you form a relationship with it, at the very least teaches you its boundaries and, and teaches you to step out of your ego, um, which, which is an essential part of this work, which is why I suggest people learn about signature patterns first. 
get to know your water get to know what it does naturally if you don't don't know what it does naturally you're not going to know if it's changed and then start communicating with it in in whatever way that feels comfortable for you um i've discovered that water really has a, a kind of frequency if you will and that it won't it doesn't respond at a lower frequency so if i'm frustrated and angry and I've just been stuck in traffic all day and the kids have been driving me crazy and I've maybe committed to doing some crystallography for someone that asked me to do it by a certain time. And I start doing crystallography. Water won't play with me. Actually, what happens with that energy is that the water tends to just thicken and go a little bit darker. It doesn't tend to have that lightness that it normally does. And it's almost like dense energy kind of just creates more thin layers that overlap each other and create a density with the ice it's quite interesting um so i know that it's not in judgment it simply doesn't resonate there so the complex imagery that we see just doesn't come from a place of darkness or at least that energy of anger but if you're sad i'll often see water reflect my sad face and not when I'm intentionally even using my emotions as an influence. I just am sad and I'm doing crystallography. Water is not being destructed because I'm sad. It's it's reflecting me. It's very compassionate, actually. It's quite nice to see that you're being seen. Um, so this water's energetic state of health is probably one of the most significant things I think of my work because it sort of explains what we're seeing. Um, in terms of, if we go back to when I began this conversation, I talked about how you can look at an analysis of water and see that it all the things that it holds, but what do we know about the water itself? So people are often surprised when I say that tap water is very receptive. Because we think, how is that possible? It's full of heavy metals. It's full of chemicals. You know, we've, we don't want to drink it. It's like, it gets the worst rap. And it's often almost something that gets ignored in, in the world of um, people that are trying to use water for health. Now, I'm not talking about drinking it. I'm learning about water. What is water? So tap water has helped me significantly. Um, so here we see the traditional patterns of municipal tap water. This is what it often will look like, quite disordered. But then I'll take, I'll let that um, crystallography melt and then um, hold it to my heart lovingly, intentionally for a minute. You'll notice that, that you'll see this large fern shape has started to appear. That you start to see these kind of grass shapes. Now, this is what we start to see when water is structurally changed, but not chemically changed. So tap water is still tap water, but it looks different structurally. What does that mean? The only thing that it can align with is that what we're seeing is water's energetic state of health. And this is very much akin to a human emotion of gratitude. I tend to think of tap water 
as a sick person. Someone who's sick can have another person come, make them a cup of tea or make them something to eat or give them a blanket or care for them. There is a sense of gratitude that comes from the sick person when somebody cares for them. And yet a doctor could very well say that they are still sick. What we're seeing here is the exact same thing. We're seeing tap water, which could be very much akin to someone who is sick with full of heavy metals and various different things. But we're seeing an emotional change through a physical representation, much like you see happiness form on the shape of, on, on a person's face. You know someone's happy because they smile. You know they're sad, sad or angry because you know they they frown so this is one of the ways that water shows us its sense of gratitude so there is a there is a word in maori called maori maori is life force energy and the more life force energy a living thing has the more mana or or spiritual presence it can embody so what we do here by caring and about tap water for example is that we give it some of its dignity back give it more presence and i think that that's quite nice because we tend to you know um throw a throw the baby out with the bathwater with a great deal of things and um i've actually i i found tap water to be rather wonderful to work with crystallographically my favorite water to drink is spring water spring water forms beautiful structures um, but i think that for doing this work i like i always recommend people try all different kinds of waters to see what it will do now here are some other examples of tap water's structures changing through love and gratitude um, and here's some more. This is after tap water's been in a singing bowl. A couple of examples. This is after water has been filtered through silk. Now, a lot of people haven't heard of that, but I spent a lot of time in India uh, out in the villages. And one trip I went and I saw three ladies. Two were holding um, out a silk sari. The other one was pumping water from a large water pump um, the water was filtering through the sari into a bucket. I asked why they were doing that, and the interpreter said that um, they it felt filtered the water, but it out, helped to filter out the impurities of the heart. And uh, when I talked about this idea of silk filters with Dr. Jerry Pollock, he said that um, water starts to build exclusion zone uh, even when it's, it's near to silk. So I found that really interesting. Um, I, I don't just freeze um, water. I, you can use this technique for a number of things. You can use it with for wine. You can use it to see the quality of your structures of your coffee or tea, all kinds of things. You can also use urine. I'm very interested in the fluids of the human body. So I've used saliva, urine, various other things and tears but um 
urine's gone through you right so it's so it so you if you actually do this and you can track your cycle if you're a woman um, you can start to see that there is clear patterns in the beginning middle and end of your cycle here I've taken urine from a dehydrated person and then taken that urine sample after someone's hydrated next to it there is the urine of a stressed person and then you can see how it looks an hour after meditation it's quite significantly different um, here are some examples of what water does when um, I'm angry or frustrated that's what I mean it thickens and darkens to some degree now here is it reflecting my sad face um, wairua is an important word it's a Maori word and uh, it means spirit Why means water Rua means two, so it is very rudimentary to say in English the, the two waters, but it's meaning the spiritual waters and the physical waters. And I think we have both within us. And I think we need to remember that water isn't only liquid. Water is a liquid, um, it's a gas, it's a solid, and it's a gel or plasma. And there is subtleties in every single one of those stages the there is about 300 different types of ice for example and each different type of ice has its own significance its importance its subtleties and we know so little about water that really this is just like a drop in the ocean of what we really know i've been studying water for 10 years and i keep realizing i barely know anything and that it's just this constant deep dive and I think this is very important given how much water we are that we know so little about it scientists can't even agree upon where water came from and how it seeded the earth some think it came from asteroids and meteorites some think that it it came from um, the earth's mantle which is um, there's a great deal of water in the ringwoodite held within the ring ringwoodite in the earth's mantle and they think that that cracked open and created water that came up through fishes and through um, the tectonic plates moving and some scientists think it's maybe both and so because we don't even know really we can't agree upon it either way none of us have been to the earth's mantle and none of us have really been all the way through the whole universe so you know it's an alien substance of which we can't live without of which no life can live without there is no life without water and yet we're very very reluctant to say that water is alive it, and yet it, so um, in, in a way you can say it's alive because let's say you've got a spring that water is defying gravity it's almost saying i am ripe i am ready and coming up which nothing normally does you know saying drink me no. That's why I call water the rebel element, because it defies the laws of physics and gravity when it expands, when it cools, and it can go up trees as well. So it's it's that's very it's a very good point. So um, these are some special photographs where I think which are really which are special to me, specifically the first three. So you'll see a picture of um, my mother and I there. And my mother, um, she died in 1999, eventually of bone cancer. And um, 
and she was my best friend she was just an absolute walking angel and so I used to live in Japan and years and years before she passed and we would write letters to each other because it was before the days of cell phones and emails which makes me feel prehistoric now now but um but there you go and so we would write these letters and at the end of every letter she would attempt to draw a circle and she'd put a heart in the middle and mum's circles were like awful and she'd be the first to admit it but that was always like her signature ending and I have this bunch of photographs of sorry of of letters of mums and so I was missing her and I sort of just said to water can you connect to my mum and this was the first photo that I got this misshapen circle with a heart in the middle a year later I asked the same question and I got this and no one knew about that no one knew that mum did that I didn't share those personal letters with anyone I wasn't expecting to see it either for the very first time because it could have shown me anything in relation to my mum there was a lifetime of things it could have shown we had many special moments so it's interesting because when my mum was dying you know I remember her saying that you know she would always be with me um, even when she wasn't in this body anymore and being able to have this kind of communication was really extraordinary um, and then the picture over here of the heart a friend who's like a big water guy asked if for his birthday I could do two um, tests for him he wanted me to leave two petri dishes of water out overnight so that everyone because he was in England and everybody all of his friends and everyone from all around the world from different time zones could send love to the water and so um, I did that but I also had a third dish that he didn't know about because I knew his father had passed away and so I left all three of these dishes out with the same amount of water and for the third dish I asked to water and I said can you connect to my friend to my friend's dad and so the next morning I came to um, freeze the water but I noticed something rather unusual had happened with the one that he didn't know about the water had evaporated so much there was very little water left but the other two remained the same and I knew my cat my cat was outside because and and had been outside that whole night and so I knew that the cat hadn't come and like drank the water and so I, that was the only thing I could think that could possibly have happened but I know that the cat was outside so it was just a very odd thing and so I froze what was left of the water all of the water transformed into the shape of this heart and I actually took a little video of it um, so you know that was rather extraordinary and I was able to give that as a gift to him from his father um, here I was thinking about my ancestors on my mother's side simply thinking about it when I was freezing the water and um, she she had told me that on on our on, on her side we had um, relatives that were burned at the stake for being witches because they were midwives and I, I often have a lot of compassion for that and when I began researching about what 
basically was cons what, what you could do or be to be considered a witch it was ridiculous there were there were some things that i read where even if you were a woman and you had let your milk curdle it meant you were a witch this is like insane right and so i saw uh, i got this face in in the water um and my mother's line had very very straight noses so that was kind of quite beautiful and then this one i did for a lady whose cat had died and she was very very upset about it because the cat was like her baby and she really wanted to know that the cat could see her that was she was just can as a cat okay and the cat and the cat see me and so when i did that i i got these you can it's almost the back of the head of the cat looking outward so how can what is what is the relationship between water and spirit is a good question to ask and that ties in i believe with um i just want to see what's happening next okay that's that so um it very much ties in with this this wider these this the spiritual and physical waters now because i think that the spiritual aspect of water is very much the observer i was investigating the idea of the observer so when i and and th then that led me on to interviewing quite a number of people who have had near-death experiences one of them of whom is a guy called Hone edmonds and his heart had stopped beating for 25 minutes he ended up writing a, a book about his experience but he and two other people literally said the same thing um they said they had the sense of rising and then they looked down upon their body being resuscitated and they had no attachment whatsoever or even idea that that used to be their body they became the observer this idea of the observer is well um, documented for, with people that also have had psychedelic experiences now I'm going to bring my son into this, which seems like, what the heck are you doing here? But he um, recently, um, in the last few months, broke his arm skateboarding. And he's 15 and took him to the hospital. And it was a pretty bad break. And they needed to give him something called ketamine so that they could work on his arm. And the doctor said, look, Ram is going to be here, but he's not exactly going to be here. And so I'd never seen anybody on this um before so it was injected into his arm and within four seconds that's how fast it happened within four seconds Rama said what the f and didn't finish his sentence his eyes were bulging his mouth was open he was just like looking around the room whilst the nurses were yanking on his arm setting his arm eventually after he came back into himself it took a long time actually he was off the charts for quite a while I asked him about his experience and he was saying that he, and he was in the corner of the room and he was watching them work on his body and then he was going into these wormholes and vortexes and all other kinds of stuff but he had become the observer we observe ourselves quite often in dreams people that have the um, talk about astral travel so how are all of these things even possible surely we need a spirit or a soul or a subtle body to be in the body to be able to be alive that is the suggestion that some people might make but then there is this talk of the silver thread the silver thread that tethers the soul to the body 
and that's an interesting idea because people can die and come back you know like that's what near-death experiences are so i think that has a lot to do with electrical charge and water so we have electrical charge that's not woo woo heart math can read electrical charge and in some situations that electrical charge can go for a very very long way and this aspect of the spirit water if you will i think that this has a lot to do with with this the the electrical charge so it another thing i'll add is one of the ways that we have intuition is that there is water in the air and the water in the air the fact that we breathe out means there's water in the air it's minute it's not a lot and in some areas it's more dense than others but we're talking very very subtle aspects here so that is very attracted to electrical charge that is able to make us have this kind of like a liquid antenna and if you will it's more like a an evaporated water antenna that like a if you imagine like what a cobweb looks like a spider's web looks like with lots of dew on it that's a very big idea of kind of what i'm talking about but it means we have this web of energy around us that is able to pick up information and share information about us and because of this attraction to electrical charge i think that as long as there is some even weak electrical charge that is the tether of the spirit of this of this sort of um other stage of water and the, the, there is so much we don't know about water and whether water is consciousness or water is spirit or water and consciousness work together hand in hand I don't know you can look at water and you can look at consciousness separately and you can see them in a very separate way but when you bring them together a lot of things make sense I'm about to do a, a masterclass where the topic is what can different religions cultures ancient texts and faiths teach us about water and you can start to see how much water is talked about in all creation stories even in genesis it says that god spoke upon the face of the deep or the face of the waters so water was there and it had a face you say um that that we were created in god's image whenever we look into a reflection we see ourselves we see a reflection of us there's a very interesting idea and then in very many other different religions and different cultures so this is something i've personally been very very fascinated with for years um so we kind of look at this idea and so their ability to come back was based on so even if the heart stops beating there is still some movement some kind of activity in the brain for about 12 minutes but i had dr jerry pollock on my web on my master class a while back and he shared something that surprised me he said that one of his students would did a study on um a chick a chick embryo so you can crack an egg and actually uh, in a certain way you can watch the embryo grow um you go it's it's a whole thing you can actually google how you can do that but they stopped the heartbeat at four minutes they wanted to see if the exclusion zone would just dip 
like all drop and go away like all the other vital signs but they found that it dropped but it didn't completely go away it, it was still there and when they brought infrared light to it, it it went all the way up and and didn't come back down for about uh, uh, an hour and he said we may need to rethink when someone's actually dead based upon movement of fluids and we're salt water we're not fresh water salt is electrical so even on the very tiniest amount of electrical charge i think it, is, it enables the spirit if you will to come back so of course this is theoretical but when you get told through all different religions and cultures that the soul the spirit or the subtle body leaves the body but no one tells you how i think this is the only thing for me so far that actually makes some sense given the anomalous properties of water that we are made up of so much water that so much religions talk about water and spirit together that even rudolf steiner talked about dew as being like the holy spirit you know there's so much within that realm to be explored that i hope that one day science will be able to start to really look into the subtle aspects of water which i think is more like a vibrational vapor stage which is moving so fast the idea of spirits for example or ghosts is like a vapor and you know and and these things can be picked up on cameras and so even this idea of our thoughts being potentially holographic kind of is an, an interesting idea of holographic within the vapor realm or within the evaporated water realm or the ether which i think is very much akin with air somehow so hope one day this will be something that people can see um or or experience you know uh, when i was 15 i was very very interested in disassociative anesthetics and i used to use ether which has the same properties as ketamine and uh, one day i've been sniffing ether and suddenly i'm on the ceiling looking down at my body and for like a microsecond, I remembered school and my exams and all the stress. And then I I forgot all that. And I'm on the ceiling looking down at my body, a bit crumpled and looking a bit unconscious. And it's I'm free for the first time in my life. All I, I have no problems. I'm everything is fabulous. I'm totally free. And suddenly bam i'm back in my body again on the floor and it's so disappointing i mean you know i'd been in nirvana and suddenly i'm back and um and many years later but you know i used to uh look for out-of-body experiences i've had hundreds of them and ketamine is one of the most interesting ways to get to an out-of-body experience um i can tell you a funny story um first time i i I tried ketamine. I was with this girl and she said, look, understand this isn't about sex, but we're going to get naked and we're going to hug each other tight and we're going to lie down. So we took the ketamine and about three minutes later, hugging each other tight, I'm out of body. And normally when I'd been out of body, I, I would come back and that was it. I'd have to 
redo the disassociative anesthetic, get, get out again. But this time, I was held in this total state of total love, and I could go in and out of my body at will. And then suddenly, I'm in this very extraordinary place that I'd never been to before. And so suddenly, I'm in this place which is total blackness. I haven't got a body. I realize that in this blackness, two things are happening. One is that everything is there. And the other thing, there's nothing. So I realize I haven't got a body. There's nobody to talk to, nothing to see, it's black. Nothing to do, and it was so comfortable. I could have been there forever. It was just like, like Nirvana waiting room or something. Anyway. <laughs> So when I come back, I'm being hugged by, by the girl, everything's lovely. And I realized that what I'd experienced was what people experience quite often when they've taken ketamine in the wrong environment. So if you take ketamine in the wrong environment, people describe what they call the K-hole. And it's the most frightening place they've ever been. They've got no body. It's black, there's nothing to do, nobody to speak to, nothing to look at, and they might be there for a million years. So I discovered this, you know, they, they call it the void. Right? And if you discover it in a state of love, it's the most fantastic thing. If you discover it on the floor of a party, when you didn't realize it was going to happen, it's the most frightening thing. Yeah, that's so powerful. It's, it, it reminds me a little bit um, of, although it's going to be, it might sound strange, but with the hydroglyphs, the hydroglyph for living, which we've identified, is um, is a very specific glyph. But as you're finding layers of meaning, I had someone reach out and they said, I've only been given a few months to live. Please, can you ask water what death looks like? And so I, I wrote the word death. And every time I would write the word death and use my technique, I kept seeing the living glyph. And I did it well more than 50 times because I really wanted to make sure that this was a layer of meaning of the word living and not just a mistake. And then I realized, oh, well, of course, you know, water doesn't die. We love to label things as people. We love to say well, that polluted water is dead water or that tap water is dead water, but that's not a truth. Water doesn't die. It always transmutes into one of its stages. It's interesting because when you look at what we're made of, and pardon the pun, you boil it down, we're water, salts, and consciousness. When you look at salt, and I've done a whole study on salt, and I find salt fascinating because I'm interested in the things that when life is made up of living things are made up of and when you salt when you put salt into water it disappears water becomes a kind of liquid crystal because a crystal is a, is um salt is a crystal but salt's very special because it has that electrical charge so but when i when you take some seawater and you let it sit in the sun for a few weeks, for a week or something, you'll notice that the water just evaporates, but the salts remain. And they were invisible before. 
they were you you could maybe taste it if there was enough salt in there but suddenly they're back into their form again and and so when somebody is cremated the ashes are actually salts so we're made of these immortal things <laughs> excuse me and consciousness of course well, science doesn't really know much about it really it doesn't they don't it's very hard to observe consciousness without being the observer and so this this these this conscious aspect with the water and the salt, it's really saying that there is all the potential for all, all um, for, for no fear. We have all the potential not to be afraid of this idea of death because water, literally the glyph for death is another word for life it's simply a transition because it it doesn't see death and so and so this it's it's a very interesting concept because there's a lot of complexity in that and we can have experiences like you've you've talked about you know i drowned when i was nearly 14 and so um i blacked out i didn't i didn't remember much of anything until I did some hypnotherapy about nine years ago and my story was rather extraordinary and it would probably take three hours for us to get into but um, but you certainly realize that there is more uh, to to life than meets the eye and and I think it's really good to investigate that rather than be held in the fear of death and the fear of losing you know that's often one of the hardest parts that we experience as people is the loss of a loved one and I remember being with my mum in the hospital as she was dying and and on her last you know few breaths as well I was there holding her and I remember going to the hospital actually even prior to that I, I I was sitting there and I didn't want to leave her body and I was going through a great deal of grief as you can imagine but I even even when she'd passed I was looking at her body and I realized I was looking at her body that mum had gone and I remember my friend Brent trying to drag me away and saying come on you know we've got to leave and I hadn't eaten I hadn't eaten in like two days and he said, well, you've got to eat something. I was like, how can I eat? How can I eat when my mum's just died? And so he takes me to this cafe across the road. And he said, come on, I'm going to, you have to eat something. You know, life, life, it it has to go on. And, and it was one of those things where I realized that life does, it has to continue on. We can't stop because of the pain in our hearts that someone's moved on and transitioned and when I went to go and see her in the funeral home it, that was even more obvious to me that mum was not in her body anymore and she'd gone somewhere and she you know she all her organs were still in the same place the mechanism for this body was still there but the life force energy within it that makes it work had gone and 
now being able to see this communication too with her and and other people are seeing this you know it, it suggests that water can um, connect us through all realms as i'm doing the interviews for people that are going to speak on my next masterclass in june i was talking to someone who studies the kabbalah and she was saying that there's a whole book um, on creation within the kabbalah which really talks about water being the um, the the go-between between worlds and I, I find that there is so much more is what I would what I leave it at because um, this idea of death it, it, it approaches all of us at some point the older we get the more we start to get to this point of well you know, at some point, I'm going to be leaving this body. And I was in a horrendous car accident, which is the next thing I'm going to talk about. And I, I'm mindful of our time, but I went, we went under a seven ton truck, rolled twice. The driver was decapitated. One of the worst accidents in New Zealand where someone survived. And I was the passenger. And um, I came to... Um, quite quickly afterwards and and I the car was on its side and I was in the most pain I'd ever been in because the seatbelt had crushed my internal organs and my spine my whole body was crushed to about this big and a broken clavicle and windscreen through my face and whatnot and I screamed out for help and the man who was driving behind us he had stopped and it was really a miracle because uh, the car had started to spark as well so it was a very dangerous situation very serious situation and um this guy in the car behind he got out of the car and i had managed to somehow cry out for help and he was so brave and um amazingly though he had a MIG fighter jet that he was showing around New Zealand. And um, and he was wearing a fireproof outfit because he was going. Wow. And to do that. And so he climbed over that man's body, which must have been one of the most horrendous things because I'm so visual and it's hard to get visuals ever out of your head. But he unclipped the seatbelt and I literally just fell into his arms. That The car was a crumpled mess. There was a cocoon around where I was. And then he carried me and he put me into the guttering. Um, and I remember seeing his glasses, my reflection in his glasses, and I was just blood and white. And we were having a conversation. And... His name was Paul Jellick, and I'm always extremely grateful to that man for, for being so brave. And, you know, I, I said um, to him, can, can we talk about God? <laughs> I, this is, I remember basically saying this, and I it was really not in my body. I was kind of someplace, other place, really. And he said, it's okay, it's okay, you're not going to die, it's okay. And I said, no, no, not because I'm going to die, but because I'm going to live. And and then I, um, over the course of many years, I ended up having eight surgeries, mostly bowel surgery. 
because the scar tissue left scar tissue on my small bowel that which grew and then every time I try and eat I just vomit all the time and I have a stent in my bowel now and, and everything is really doing great um and if anyone wants to know my whole healing story I, I I share it quite a lot on podcasts and there's lots of them on my website but um one of the most profound things that happened after I had um my son Rama so I have three children so because of all of my injuries and stage four endometriosis uh, three doctors told me I'd never be able to have children so I had a child for every doctor that told me I couldn't because I hate being told what I can't do <laughs> and not because I had them out of defiance but they really are all little miracles but I, I put on the shelf what they said rather than took it to heart and so I was, um, this was the day before the big Christchurch earthquake. There were two big ones. The second one, I was there for both of them, actually. It was terrifying. And um, my son Rama was nearly three at the time. And a friend had come over and her and I were talking about my car accident. And I... Um, was was telling her about it and my son as children do you know sometimes they like spy on their parents and they like eavesdrop and stuff and that's exactly what Rama was doing and he heard the whole story about my car accident of which I hadn't sat down and told him about or anything he's just a little guy anyway he did something so remarkable because remembering that this was years years ago the car accident after before I was um, talking to this lady and Rama jumped up onto my lap and he said, I remember that, mummy. I remember the window wipers and the tires. And I came down out of the clouds and I went like this and I saved you. And when you were okay, I climbed back up the ladder into the clouds. And it was so matter of fact. He was so sure. And I just burst into tears and I was like, my Rama, thank you so much. And these miracles happen, you know, and we think sometimes that we're, we're not meant to be here. I've heard people say that in their deepest, darkest times, but I believe we really are. And if we can get through those times, they can really help other people too, just by seeing how, how you can go through so much and you can come out of that. And we don't have to be, you don't have to stay there. There are ways through. And there's purpose. And, you know, Rama, he said something interesting. He called it the ladder in his own little three-year-old way. And my hydroglyph, you know, that means to climb up and is was inspired from the song Stairway to Heaven. And I see the stairway glyph. And I'm like, it often reminds me of what he said because the, the, the stairway looks like a ladder. And so, you know, of all these things that happen, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm often reminded to be utterly grateful for every moment that we do have in this body, in this life, with these people that we have. And, and then there's no time like the present to tell someone that you love them because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. One of the worst things we have is that we think we have time. And... And we don't know that. 
And so I, I often have what I call a death day where I imagine that this is my last day on earth. And even when I'm driving, we can be mindlessly listening to something on the radio that we just don't even, it's a song that's just, oh, it's just a, just a song. We might not even like it. It's just playing. And, and I realized, is this the last song I want to hear? If this is my last moment on earth. So I make sure that I listen to the music that I like, that I kind of do things that, that give me joy. And I'm so grateful that I get to do this work with water because not only does it give me a great sense of purpose and joy, and I feel that I am working with a life force energy that, that is the life force of all people, that also it's giving great joy to others. And our whole life is a memory. If we look back at our whole entire life, it is all a memory. And I think one of the greatest gifts that we give to people when we leave this earth, this earthly plane, if you will, um, are the beautiful memories in their hearts. Sadly, I lost a, a number of people passed in the last um, few years. Um, and, and in their passing, they have passed on these beautiful memories of themselves. And that's all we have. We have our memories, and that's what make up our lives. Water stores memories, stores information, and it can transmute from one stage to another stage. Uh, and I find great hope in that. Um, so I don't know how much longer we have, but I have a few more things I can share or we can. Yeah, no, absolutely. We've got all the time in the world. Uh, there's a Buddhist meditation which sort of goes along the lines of if you want to be happy, meditate on death. So when you stop meditating on death, you'll suddenly feel great, I'm alive. <laughs> it's true. Um, actually, can I, ask I, you, can I ask you one question? Sorry. Um, water being mainly hydrogen, twice hydrogen to oxygen, I, I imagine you've probably looked into hydrogen as a thing. One of the things I would highly recommend people watch, I put on my YouTube channel an interview I did with Isabel Friend. And the concept and idea is about water and spirit or God and creation. And she talks a great deal about hydrogen and hydrogen in the universe, about black holes, about um, all kinds of things relating to water. And she believes that the science is saying really that that it is water that seeds the planets, that seeds the universe. And uh, she gets into quite a lot of detail about that. So I would highly recommend people watch that interview because there are a lot of mic drop moments that where she's sharing some really interesting information. She's one of those very fortunate people that can absorb all the information that she reads and then say it. And I tend to absorb all of the information that I do, and I can say that. But I'm not as good as like remembering all the scientific papers and just kind of spouting it out. So she's she's just wonderful at at, at being able to do that in a in a very clear way. Um, but one thing that is interesting about the molecule, the water molecule, is it's the two hydrogens and the large oxygen, and 
some people might not have seen it from this perspective is that the two hydrogens are in the mode of levity and they are feminine and the large oxygen is in the mode of gravity and is masculine and this creates this beautiful balance and the ability for us to have liquid water on earth so i think that that is something of which to me adds even more sacredness to water um so it, i'll just it's such an incredible subject i was going to say deep which seems to apply to water because so <laughs> few people realize that um terms like ph for instance is referring to ph potential hydrogen yes yeah and hydrogen is, is such a, a, a big one because it's so um minute in a particle it's just absolutely it, it can go through the the you know the brain barrier and it's, it's a lot of people find a lot of benefit that a lot of the holy waters contain dissolved hydrogen molecular hydrogen and so one of that aspects is how good that is for health so there's a lot more and more studies done on molecular hydrogen for health and healing um which there's that there's a lot of science behind that so it, i'm very interested in the 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 water molecule itself as a whole i think there's a lot there to learn about but by looking at oxygen and by looking at hydrogen and looking at them separately and then seeing them come together i think that's is rather extraordinary because they're both extraordinary well um i've got a number of videos uh, of parkinson's patients breathing a mixture of hydrogen and oxygen in the form of hydroxy gas and two hours breathing it they stop shaking mm. Mm. Uh, so you know hydrogen and oxygen to water split and recombined absolutely yeah. unbelievable because you run your car on the stuff as well oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's a whole nother one um okay let me just screen share here so this was the car accident that i was in and oh my god yeah wow. and that's right yeah so very very lucky to be here um this so there is a um you a, a instagram reel going around and the topic is what if water was god and this i'm not saying that water is god i'm not i'm just sharing what this person said which i thought was interesting and um he said well that would mean that god is in us and all around us above us and below us it would explain why a waters uh, a woman's waters break when we're born and why some religions observe the ritual of baptism if water was god then that would mean that god has no gender God takes the shape of the container God appears in, which would explain why we have so many different belief systems. It would mean that all bodies of water were holy, that a thunderstorm is a church without walls, that when the rain falls, it's an act of God's death giving life, and when it evaporates again, it's the day of resurrection. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, very, 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 very interesting observation. Yeah. Um, no, sorry, I'm sure. So this is really interesting because it's about healing by proximity. So I did a whole study on egg albumin 
So that is the egg white, but there's two parts to the egg white. There's a gloopy gelatinous part and then the thin part, which is akin to, it's like a runny saliva. And I freeze the runny saliva part. And what I've, because I, I did this because I've always thought that amniotic fluid holds ancestral information. And so I, I, I couldn't easily get amniotic fluid. So I, I ended up using eggs instead. And I've seen these six patterns in all bird eggs that I've used so far. Chicken, duck, goose, and quail. And I've named them. So um, what you will notice is that there are six patterns. Four of them, these four, are complex, and these are the more rudimentary. Cage 10 eggs only form the two most rudimentary. And I discovered something quite extraordinary. Um, and I'll talk about that in a second, but this is what a caged hen egg looks like in the albumen, and this is what a free-range one looks like. So they're clearly quite different. And I've done hundreds of these crystallographic studies. This is not me using my conscious expression. This is just what we see in egg, in, in egg albumen. So, um, this is something rather extraordinary happens though when you put a free-range hen egg next to a caged hen egg and leave them overnight and i was inspired by the luke of uh, work of luke montanua who was a scientist who discovered aids and got the nobel peace prize for that very serious scientist i have the pleasure of meeting him at the last Second, at the annual water conference in Germany in 2019. I was actually the last speaker um, of the whole event in October last year. So I was very privileged to be able to be in that, invited to do that. But um, Luke would take uh, water, two um, pure vials of water, one with a strand of DNA in it and one without. He left it overnight uh, or for several hours in ambient light, and there was a low frequency um, that was involved in, in the experiment. He would move one of the tubes, the tube with the DNA away, and then he would put the focus on the one which had no DNA in it, but had been sitting next to one. He would put some powder, like a precursor to the DNA, um, to see if there is any DNA within a, the water. And they discovered that there was, and that it had the same, this kind of the same sequence of DNA. It was actually in the tube of water that had literally nothing in it the day before. And you think my work is like next level crazy, maybe some might. Well, you look at that, and this guy is like a very serious scientist. And when Jerry talks about Luke, very fondly, by the way, um, he really, he, this this has been repeated by some people. And so this they, it's called DNA te teleportation. And then that really makes you start to begin to wonder, well, like, what does that mean just by people I'm in proximity with? You know, what does that mean by being with a lover? Uh, what does that mean in all these different things? Are we exchanging DNA? Like, are we exchanging information? Like, 
what's going on there and I think that's a big question and I like that question because I have some insights into that but one of the things that I I wanted to see was to see whether or not one might influence the other and so uh, I put the free range egg next to the cage 10 egg overnight and the next day I um, did the crystallography for them and because I'm I know what the patterns look like I, I I saw that the free range hen patterns looked just the same as I would expect looks like this but the cage 10 egg had started to improve it had started to gain more complex um, pictures or structures and I thought that was really interesting so I shared it on social media and then everyone said oh yeah 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 but you know if you surrounded it by bad eggs, surely it would go bad, which is sadly the state of <clears throat> the world uh, for some people's worlds anyway. And so I did that and I did it twice. So here are my controls. Whoops, let me move that little guy out of the way. So here's the control of the free range egg. Here is the control of the cage 10 egg. I used the same batches of either. I put the cage 10 egg in the middle and surrounded it. Sorry, I put the free range egg in the middle and I surrounded it by cage 10 eggs. And here is the result. So as you can see, those lovely volcano patterns are still in the free range egg. It's still got its form and structure. But by proximity, there was a healing that happened by all the cage 10 eggs that sat next to the free range egg they all began to look like the free range egg the ones that were further away improved but not as significantly so I did it again here are the controls for these two and I did the same exact setup by surrounding the um, the free range egg with cage 10 eggs and here is the result so again we see the regular patterns that we would see in um, free range egg has not changed or got any worse and there has been a drastic healing here by proximity of all of the cage 10 eggs surrounding it and less further away now um i i i these pictures here is because i'm very interested in biomimicry and what we can learn from what things look like and so i just found it really interesting that one of the most one of the patterns is feathers and how much the feathers here look like chicken feathers and again here this is the real feather and this is the um uh in fact this is in half this is the ice and this is the feather this is brain coral this is half and half it looks just the same so you start to see this is very interesting the patterns that we see in the egg album and reflect things in nature um but the takeaway I think if we wanted to look at this a little deeper would be that nature appears to be looking to improve rather than downgrade which especially in this embryonic sort of stage um, which makes sense if you think that you know the na in nature the weak don't tend to do so well so it makes more sense that they'd rather improve than just spend all their energy trying to make something worse I also think that information transfer is possible because water is a type of liquid antenna and egg albumin is approximately 90% water. And, and given that none of these eggs were fertilized, it's fascinating that information was still transferred to the caged eggs 
perhaps meaning that the potential for life was there from the very beginning. And then my personal takeaway from this, given that by molecular count we're 99% water, is simply that if we heal ourselves, we heal others. And I remember my teacher in India telling me that the um, that the greatest saints and, and divine people who have graced the earth really were containers of divine love and that their energy field would literally be able to heal people that where they would were so far away that they would never ever even meet and and I think people are often wondering what can we do it's only me well we all know what it's like to be attracted to certain people that just make us feel good when we're feeling sad or or, or we just want to hang out with with people that make us feel enlivened there are certain people that do that they have a certain energy then we know those people we know who they are there's usually one person in your friend circle that is the healer the person that somehow makes you always feel better and them by just being them they must have done a certain amount of healing within their own lives to be able to feel and give that energy out our pets do it our pets come and know they know when there's something wrong they come and they cuddle us and they kind of you know love on us and that is their way of being the healer of sharing their energy with us to try to help us feel better and we can do the same for them so I think this is a, a very important study um, so this was an interesting one Rupert Sheldrake often talks about it um, it, it's really the power of love is what what this is uh, talking about so in um, 1986 this man conducted an experiment to show telekinesis influencing objects at a distance by the power of the mind and he used newly hatched chicks and a special little made robot so the chickens and all the birds um, chickens and all birds so when they're born they believe um, that the first animate creature that they see um, is their parent and they form a bond so um, this man introduced the newly hatched chicks to his special robot and they really loved it and they wanted to be close to it and the robot could drive itself around on wheels and had a pen underneath to trace its path on paper as it moved and it had a random number generator on the steering and every few seconds it changed direction and a large table with a low side wall to prevent the robot falling off was covered by a sheet of white paper and the robot was placed in the center of the table and set moving and it traced a random pattern across the table so he put the robot in the center of the table and switched it on thank you it traced a random pattern and then he put 15 chickens which were bonded to the robot in a small cage at one end of the table and put the robot in the center of the table and switched it on and the chicks felt anxious when it moved away from them yearning for it to be close and these chicks had a profound effect on the ro robot's movement it moved towards the chickens and stayed at the end of the table closest to them and he put non-bonded chickens into the cage and the robot traced a random pattern again so he made the room dark and put a small candle on the robot 
even non-attached chickens would bring it closer for the robot, um, closer for the comfort of the light. Um, so when he's he put rabbits in the cage, they were scared of it, and it made it stay at the far end of the table. But when they got used to it, they began to draw it closer. So he would repeat this and 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 saw the same results. And so thoughts have measurable energy; they have an effect at a distance, and there is a medium through which thoughts can travel, and it's ether or the source field and the background energy of the universe, the source and the sustainer of everything. So, you know, if, if, if chicks can have an impact on a robot, you know, imagine what our conscious expression can have on water. So it, it's very, and on all things and all life. So I had done a study where I used tap water and I sat it next to spring water overnight. And I took the pH of both. And what was fascinating is that I had used the spring water that helped heal my body, which had a high pH of 9.9. And um, what, what we found was that not only did the, um, the tap water improve structurally to look more like fern, like more like... Um, flaxes for example I think that kind of looks a bit like that it's more of the pattern we might see in rainwater this pattern but you might see that there is this lotus like shape here in the spring water bef beforehand and you actually there are two of them now within the um, spring water after it had sat next to the tap water and it, together they form this heart and what we are seeing is an improvement in both. So for the spring water, there is purpose in sitting next to the tap water to give it energy, to give it information, to improve it. For the tap water, its job is to improve. And what we saw was when I did the pH um, test of the tap water, I already knew the pH of the spring water. By sitting next to it, I saw an increase in the pH of the tap water by two which is quite substantial. So I found that really, really remarkable. Um, and then we get to hydroglyphs. So what is a hydroglyph? I think of it as a 3D emotional language, which, which I'll explain a bit. So the simplified version is they are symbols and eyes that have one or more meanings. And I derive these meanings by using words as my way of communicating prior to freezing. So essentially, I'm inviting water to show me a symbol for each presented word. For example, I might write the word creation. This is the creation glyph over here. On a piece of paper, place my petri dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds, remove and freeze using my technique. So to say I have discovered one hydroglyph, I need to have seen the same image appear after using the same written word at least 50 times. This tells me that it's not coincidental or random and that there's enough evidence to say it has a specific meaning. Essentially, I'm learning to understand messages in water that are revealed in frozen symbology. This liquid crystal language is not that simple because hydroglyphs are very conceptually complex, inviting us to dive deeper into the meaning connection and subtle realms of consciousness. Um, 
the glass petri dishes I use for this work are like water's temporary templates of patterning and information. They're like little worlds that we get to see, almost reflections of ourselves and of the life force of energy and its way of communicating. Um, so I like these two quotes very much. When the human race learns to read the language of symbolism, a great veil will fall from the eyes of men by Manny P. Hall. And Carl Jung says, the man who speaks with primordial images speaks with a thousand tongues. Now let's have a look at some. Um, so this, there are 64 examples here of the frilled angle, which is the hydroglyph with the meaning of message, remembering that this is the energy of a word. So it's important to remember that. For example, um, right now I'm holding up my glasses. Nobody's falling off their chair in excitement about that. But if I say that this is the energy of my glasses, it, it, it invites us to think a little deeper about what that might mean. What is the energy of my glasses? Well, for me, it's the energy of sight. It's the energy of the shape of my face. You know, it's, it's, it has a, a deeper meaning than just the label of glasses. Um, and we, we often find that, that, that we do label things that, that, that sometimes we have use for, and, and there's more to them than just the label they have, much the same as people. There's more to you, I'm sure, than just your name. So um, we look at this and we are invited to look at the energy of this, um, this word message. Now what we've learned is, is something very interesting is if I zoom in, hopefully I can, um, you might notice over here, there is a heart shape at the end of the tip. Here's another heart shape, another heart shape. And some of them have them and some of them don't. And what we've started to understand is that the ones that do have a heart shape at the end mean that it is an emotional or loving message. That's as far as we've got. And I have a group of people around the world helping me with these using different waters, different languages. Um, so um, if this is the winter tree. We know this means change with a layered meaning of winter. Again, to get a layered meaning, we need to have used that word and seen the same symbol appear at least 50 times. So it takes a very long time to go through all the layers of meaning. But you can see that they are identifiable. No, nothing within water does anything specifically identical, or I have seen some things where it's extremely hard to tell the difference. But you think about nature, you know, even identical twins tend to have different personalities. We can't forget the subtleties. And that's where we're really looking into in this investigation. Um, so this empty circle is the energy of the word completion. This um, is the lotus glyph. As I've talked about, it means enlightenment and it means purity. When I say other potential meanings, what you'll see is that I've used those words, but and I've seen this symbol, but yet I haven't done it 50 times. Uh, this is the fern hexagon. We talked about this because um, this symbol means living and death. It also means gratitude and healthy. Now, its most predominant meaning tends to be living. If you see two of them, 
in a dish it can it can mean one of those two of two of those meanings so um, it tends to mean living and death uh, gratitude is also quite a common one for it so we are at the most early stages of this work it is so so potentially huge that it's quite overwhelming um, these line ladders we know are the energy of the word information um, these are the tips about tips that I was talking about um, at the end of the message glyphs. Um, when I asked water, what is a hydroglyph? It, it, it responded in hydroglyphs and I've outlined them here. It's saying living message. Now, this is the work of Genity Crocolev that we mentioned. So it might be nice just to get a bit of a visual. Now, some of his pictures are more clear than others, but you can see here is it is actually extremely hard to find his work it's almost like somehow it's just been taken off the internet you can read about him but just find his pictures it's not that easy so it's quite nice so this is his setup with the goggles that he used and his camera um and him but this is the work of the newer scientist that used the scuba diving mask instead and used a remote viewer so they, are, they made a movie, a, a documentary. It's in Russian though, but there are there is one version with some kind of dubbed over English. Um, and I think it's something like thought is material, it's proven. Um, and and that that is that for now, um, with that presentation at any rate. Well, it's just uh, mind-blowingly brilliant. And uh, before we started recording, we were talking briefly about the Bigelow research about holographic blood. And it seems that there is so much information in water that it transfers into blood as well. And that people can look at a drop of blood and could say with a woman, for instance, whether they're pregnant or not, just by looking at the way a drop of blood dries. Yeah, well, you can do a, a, um, a very interesting study they did um, on saliva, and it's it's actually where you spit into a dish, onto a dish, you can get it, it's an ovulation kit, so you can, a woman can tell if she's ovulating through her saliva, and she spits into a dish, then they, she lets it dry, you get a little magnifying glass, and if there are these for lots and lots of ferns in the saliva, then you're fertile. And it shows the, the, the unfertile stage, the transitional stage, and the fertile stage. So our fluids tell us a great deal about ourselves. But when you talk about blood, I was at a conference once in New York, and there was a guy who was promoting his book, and he was a, a heart surgeon, and he did heart transplants. And he wrote a book because he saw this happen so often, whereby someone who had died, um, their heart would be put into the heart and, and replaced, you know, with somebody who had heart issues. And that person who lived and had that other person's heart took on a lot of the characteristics and memories of the person who had died. One child. Um, who was given a heart transplant of someone um, 
they went to a church and uh, the family had taken her to a church because they were going there to say thank you to the person that had, um, the family. And that this was their first meeting. So they, they didn't really even know what the family, who they were yet. Like it was at a church setting. And so this little girl, she was really little and she ran straight up to a person, jumped on their lap and started hugging them endlessly. And it was the mother of the person's uh, whose child had died to, to um, give the heart. And so she recognized her and she had never seen her before in her life. Um, sometimes you see them take on traits where one person was never ever into basketball and all of a sudden it was like a whiz at basketball and had never shown an interest in sports before ever. Sometimes there is these these very interesting memories that they have a memory of, of a family and, and yet they don't know how or why. So what we store in the blood, given that water, you know, there's so much water in blood that, that it, it, I think it's very um, significant when we, when people start talking about this, because again, it's another missing piece. It's another piece to seeing, well, there's something about water. There is something about water. I was I was fascinated by the whole transplant thing, and my understanding from reading about it is not it's not just that it happens sometimes that they take on the characteristics of the previous owner of the heart, but it's every time. And I, I think one of the big takeaways is to be very careful what you think. Because yes. what you think has a direct influence on the water that is us. And I would also suggest to soften that, because I think soften is a very important word. Is that, that by saying that, and lots of people say that, and it's and there's a truth in that, of course, but it makes people fearful of their own thoughts. And we have so many different thoughts a day. They fluctuate depending on what we hear, what we think, what all of these things. I might give a gentle suggestion that intention is like a blanket that we can wrap around ourselves. And that in our, in our, as we strive to be mindful of our thoughts, to, to bring out that the big guns of intention. Because when I interviewed individually eight children, and I said to them, if you could set an intention for your day, what would it be? I was so shocked. Every single one of them said the same thing. All of them said to be kind to people. And I think that one of the things that that says is a reflection of all the things that they want is for somebody to be kind to them. And just that kindness needs to also reflect upon ourselves because you meet many lovely people that do all kinds of stuff for other people, but they just don't give it back to themselves. And so this intention I'm talking about is more about what you'd like to be rather than what you'd like to do. And the intention simply is setting the precedence for your day. 
And when I have done that and set an intention that I maybe just be kind to myself today and that that intention is very real and very true and comes often in the time in the places when we're just sort of waking up it's almost like inspired thought it's like what would my intention be today what do I what do I want to set the foundation of my day with right and this is what we're doing I think of it like a foundation of our day and so there have been many times over the last few years where I've had a few thoughts that weren't so great where I've thought, oh my God, what's the state of the world and this and this and things like you hear so much stuff. And we have the opportunity to actually step away from some of those things and maybe not look at them so much. But we also, when I have set the intention and I've been doing crystallography, I've seen that despite whatever thoughts I may have come in my mind and gone back out of my mind again, the water is still responding beautifully. When I really don't, when I don't set the intention for the day and I let some of that really in and my mind's got those thoughts, I find it does affect it. So I have found the intention literally works like uh, like a Faraday cage in a way. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's more like a, a blanket probably that, that very much helps us to manage what it is to be a loving, caring a person in the world doing what we need to do with the tools that we've got, hoping for the very best that at the very least we can be kind. I think that that is a very manageable thing for all of us. And that's a wonderful place to start. Um, so, but yes, thoughts are very powerful. But I've seen with the compassion of water that it's way more interested in what I'm feeling than what I'm thinking. And thoughts generally don't come just as a thought. They often come from a feeling. And there are two types of thoughts. And there's, I think there's two types of minds. I think there's the dense mind and the light mind. And the dense mind are the thoughts that we just keep regurgitating all the time. And the light mind is where we have inspired thought that seems to just kind of come out of nowhere. And we often have that when we're in the shower, where water is washing everything away and we're open to more inspired thought. And, and you're grounded in the shower as well. Yes, yes of course. Uh, so um, I, 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 I think that... And I say this with kindness just because I, I know how children respond when they see, when they get told that and how some adults respond because it's like, be mindful of your thoughts. I'm just like, oh God, well, what if I think something bad? And then you get really paranoid because our brain does that. When we have a new belief, it's like, okay, our thoughts create our entire world, right? That, that we might think that. It's not necessarily true, but what we think can, is kind of tends to lead us in certain directions and pathways. And so if we're thinking, oh God, you know, one little thought and it comes into the mind and you're like, well, okay, how am I going to view this? You allow, you're then using the observer to observe it. I would suggest that. And I, I think it's a helpful tip because I use this all the time. If I'm triggered, uh, by something somebody says rather than just react 
I, I use the observer that I'm able to use and say, when was the first time you felt like that? Is this specific to this person? Does this person need to hear all of this reaction from you? Or can you heal in this time, in this moment? So the thought creates an opportunity to have a look at it as the observer. Is it serving me? Is it any good for me? Is it true? And then we can either take another look at it and we can let it go. I tend to think of thoughts like clouds. Clouds are always going by, but we're really the sky. And, and I think in that analogy, I often remember reminded that we are not our thoughts. We are actually much bigger than that because thoughts come and go. The, the, the inspired thoughts are the ones we want to take notice of. They're the ones that are really, the, there's the magic in them. The regurgitated thoughts, sometimes, especially negative ones, they are creating patterns. So knowing that, if you're at that stage anyway, you're probably already trying to heal that. Your cat's there. My cat's been whizzing around the place as well. <laughs> this one is giving me the message that unless I feed her soon, she'll do what she really likes to do, which is go on the keyboard and go... <laughs> my cat is that my, my husband's just taken our cat out because we know what she does she when she wants to be fed she backs up into the screen so everybody sees her but it's not pretty so I'm grateful that she's not doing that right now <laughs> well so, um uh, tell the viewers because I know a lot of them are going to probably want to go on your course and learn how how, how to do this uh, how do they get in touch with you Sure. Um, my website is vadaaustin.com and on there you can get the PDF of how to do the work. You can get the whole thing on hydroglyphs, the list of hydroglyphs. Um, you can go on a workshop. So I have a beginner's workshop, which is where I have small groups and I teach people how to do it. And we look at your crystallography, you get your Petri dish and we, I help you get your freezer setting right and everything. Three or four times a year, I have a masterclass. It's like a, an event really. And the next one, I'm about to open it up for bookings within the next week. It takes a lot of organizing to do, especially when I have so many speakers from around the world. Um, and that topic is what can do different religions cultures ancient texts and faiths teach us about water and i have a large amount of people from all around the world amazing speakers that will blow your mind so i'm really personally i'm almost doing it for me because i'm just so interested but i you know that lots of other people are interested too so that will be open to book on my website as well and on instagram it's veda austin underscore water and that translates over to Facebook, which is Veda Austin at Water Researcher. Well, thank you so much, Veda. I mean, just fascinating and wonderful. And uh, I look forward at some point to speaking to you again to find out the next stage in your journey. Thank you. I'm looking forward to that too. <laughs> mm -hmm.